Good day. Welcome to the podcast. Um, today we will be speaking with Oliver Forster from Climate Care. Any organization that puts in an effort to save the rainforest, to grow back the rainforest, definitely has got my vote. Um, Climate Care does this. They are partnering with organizations that take responsibility for their carbon emissions. So they are in the business of carbon offsetting. Oliver is Director of Business Development. Um, he is based in Oxford, UK. At the moment, he is in uh, Toronto, Canada. I'll put all the links in the show notes. You can find it as well on uh, the page on our website. That's podcast.org and then forward slash climate care. Um, without further ado, here he is. I'm here with Oliver, Oliver Forster, and uh, I pronounced that correctly, I'm sure. That's, yeah, that's right. Okay. Hi there. And uh, you're Director of Business Development at Climate Care and have been doing that for five years. So very welcome to the show, I would say. Thank, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Good, good, good. And you're saying you're normally, uh, you live in uh, Oxford, but uh, you are in Toronto, Toronto, Canada. So it is probably like seven, eight o'clock, but... Is it? I think, I think so. Yeah, I think so. I think, think so. It's probably about 10, 10 o'clock in the morning or something. So, oh, very, very, very. Okay. So tell me a little bit the about the situation. Are you stuck there with the coronavirus? Obviously, a lot of things have changed around the world. Um, I, I just uh, read an article about Starbucks using reusable cups again. That's obviously really bad news. Good news is yeah. you can finally see the sky and maybe in Canada, maybe not in Toronto, but other parts of Canada, you can actually see the mountains from far, far away. Huh? So good and bad, I would say. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, certainly from climate care's perspective, we've been quite fortunate. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think coronavirus has hit different businesses in a lot of different ways. But certainly from climate care's perspective, we work with lots of different sectors and you see the different impacts for different sectors yeah. across our work. And so obviously aviation has been hit yeah. badly by, by coronavirus. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, we see other that slack almost has been more than picked up by other sectors where we're seeing lots of new commitments on climate change. So yeah. Apple, Microsoft, these really big companies are making really significant commitments right now, Yeah, which is really encouraging. So in many ways, it's actually, you know, whilst, whilst it is a hard time, I think it's quite an exciting time in the, in the climate space as well. So we're very lucky about that. Yeah, obviously, Apple and Microsoft are big companies, they're massive companies. They are still making a lot of money. I just saw the results from Apple. They came out not too long ago, and they actually doing better than ever. But uh, smaller companies, especially travel companies, obviously, they have been hit really, really, really hard. Um, climate care, you're doing well? or? Yeah, as I, as I was saying, I mean, we're we're very fortunate in that we're fairly diversified across a lot of sectors. Yeah. And it just does seem to be the case that um, I think coronavirus in some way, obviously there was a lot of um, impetus behind climate change action before coronavirus. And I think we've seen that continue. I mean, lots of big companies certainly have made commitments to net zero now by yeah. 2030, 2040. Mm -hmm. And I think that you know they can't they can't wait in order to meet those commitments. They need to start taking action now. So what we're saying is, lots of companies have set that science science based targets to reduce their emissions in line with the Paris Agreement. Okay. And now they're thinking, what's what's the first thing we can do? And that's where you know that's where climate care come in. Right. Right. So as I say, it is you know we are we're really really fortunate. Um, 
but it's uh, it's an exciting time in this space. Yeah, obviously climate care, uh, carbon offsetting. There's different ways you can do that. So you can, uh, for one, you can purchase carbon credits from an emission uh, trading scheme. So you basically one credit is uh, one metric ton of CO2, from what I understand. And once that's retired, that uh, credits, then basically you save one ton of CO2 from being emitted uh, by the countries or the companies that you uh, that, that that sell those. Uh, alternatively, what, what what I've seen you do a lot is offsetting schemes, uh, clean development mechanisms, such as uh, you know g- greener cooking stoves, which is one of the things that you do in Kenya, if I understand. And you also have carbon removal uh, schemes, uh, actively absorbing carbon by planting trees or developing, you know, technologies that can absorb carbon from the air. Which of those are you primarily active in, if I may ask? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, in terms of the voluntary carbon market, there, as you say, there are these different types of projects. Yeah. And all of the projects have the commonality between all of the projects is that they're different ways of reducing or removing carbon from the from the atmosphere. Yeah. Um, but there are broadly three types, I would say. Mm-hmm. There are types that focus on land use. So these are, for example, rainforest protection projects. They could be tree planting projects. So they're things that uh, are helping to enhance carbon sinks that we have around the world. Mm-hmm. The second, the, ty- uh, the type that focus on renewable energy. So you will be familiar with grid-scale wind projects, grid-scale mm-hmm. solar projects. So they are obviously a great way of reducing carbon emissions. As the kind of second bucket of projects that we work with. And the, the third bucket uh, reduced emissions at a household level. Okay. So that could be, you already mentioned clean cooking projects, which is something that they're very close to climate care's heart and we're well known for. Mm-hmm. Um, so they work by working with households in the developing world to yeah. reduce emissions there. And they also have all of these fantastic sustainable development outcomes as well in terms of alleviating poverty, improving people's socioeconomic uh, status. Yeah. And so I would say, you know, if you were to say what's climate care's focus overall, I would say those household level projects, household solo, clean yeah. cooking, household water, are probably our, our sweet spot, even though we do lots of different, different types of things. Fair enough. And then I read something about uh, climate plus care as well. Is that, is that the same thing or is that different? Or Yeah, more or less. I mean, that's kind of... That's kind of climate care's philosophy, if you like. Okay. I mean, we're called climate care because of, you know, we believe that to tackle climate change, you also have to think about people and you also have to make sure that the projects that you're implementing, as well as reducing emissions, mm-hmm. they also create these other positive outcomes for society. Yeah. Um, so the climate plus care concept encapsulates that. All the projects that we work with, not only do they robustly reduce carbon emissions, they also create all these other great sustainable development impacts. Right, right, right. And, that's climate plus care. That's climate plus care. Okay, and and you are business development. Um, and what what do you do? Yeah, yeah. What, yeah. What, what does that mean? What did you do? Do you go out to the countries and see uh, how the projects are going? Or are you setting up new projects? Or how do we see it? Yeah, I mean, a bit of all of those things, really. So, I mean, most of my time I spend, Climate Care has an office in Oxford where we speak with our corporate partners from mostly. Mm-hmm. And then we have a project-centric office in Nairobi, which does lots of our project work. Okay. So I spend my, my day-to-day is in Oxford. Um, so I'll speak to a whole range of uh, companies about new ways that they can reduce carbon emissions, essentially, and new programs that we can develop with them yeah. to do that. And some of that might involve concepts for, for new projects, for example. It might 
involve putting together a portfolio of existing projects for them. Mm-hmm. Um, but the commonality between them is always working with companies to you know, think about ways that they can reduce carbon emissions and take responsibility for the emissions that they're creating. And that's really what it's all about, isn't it? For companies to take responsibility. Exactly. I mean, if, if you were to know one thing about climate care, the central thrust of our mission is to reduce to reduce carbon emissions yeah. as well as improving lives. So all of the work that we do ultimately leads towards that, that okay. goal. Um, and, you know, the way that we measure our business is fundamentally pinned to those goals. So not we're, we're a profit for purpose business. So, mm-hmm. of course, we measure our profit, but we also measure the amount of tons of carbon emissions that we reduce as well as how many lives improved that we're uh, making through our through our projects. So those three goals are all central to our to our business. Right, and I, I saw something online um, about the history. Twenty uh, two years already, but no one really did anything. So you must have done something. Maybe you were there five years. So I'm not sure if you know what <laughs> yeah. the company did before that. <laughs> what was uh, more than a decade ago? People didn't really care about uh, carbon offsetting or anything like that. So what 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 did, what did the company do at that point? Yeah, I mean, Climate Care has got this really interesting history. As you say, it was founded in 1997, um, which is the same year that the Kyoto Protocol was Ah, was signed. And that that wasn't a coincidence. Um, (laughs) So, you know, Climate Care was ultimately founded to help businesses and individuals to offset their their carbon emissions, which in some ways is tied into what the Kyoto Protocol was creating, which was this new mechanism, the offset mechanism, which would be a tool to tackle mm-hmm. um, climate change. And so obviously when climate care was founded, no no one really there weren't the, the rules or the infrastructure or the architecture in place to do that. So climate care really played this foundational role in, okay, how how can we do this? How can we make sure that it's robust? How mm-hmm. can we make sure that it's transparent? How can we create this market? And that's what climate care's first decade from from 1997 was was very much focused on that and you know in that in that time there were lots of milestones so there was climate care was one of the first companies ever to use carbon finance to help reforest a rainforest okay that was project in in uh, kabali and at the time that was um the project area was kind of overrun by elephant grass which was preventing any uh, new trees from coming and there were previously chimpanzees in the area, but they had moved out because the forest had been degraded. But through climate care's efforts, mm-hmm. you know, chimpanzees have now come back to the come back to the project area. So that you know, things like that make you very excited to work at climate care. Obviously, and that you know, that I think encapsulates what we're trying to do. And then you know, the other thing we've already talked about: clean cooking projects. Yeah, that yeah. These, you know, pe- people all around all around the world. About a billion people use biomass every day, coal yep. or wood, in order to do their cooking. Yep. And that is a big, you know, it's A, really bad for people's health. It's, it's like smoking two packs of cigarettes every single day. So this is, you know, it's a terrible impact for people. But it's also, it's a climate, it's a climate challenge as well, because obviously it creates carbon emissions. And so with a view to, through projects, you can help reduce that source of carbon emissions mm-hmm. as well as improving people's health and their livelihood so climate care in 2007-2008 wrote a carbon methodology which could underpin all of these clean cooking projects and could help them access the benefits of carbon finance or carbon offsetting mm-hmm. um, and that methodology was ultimately accepted by uh, the gold standard and now 
underpins all of these different projects around the world. So that, you know, that's a great way in which climate care are doing innovative things, which ultimately scales a climate solution and means that clean cooking projects could, could, uh, could grow and now reduce many millions of tons of emissions around the world. Brilliant. And is that aimed at the households or is it aimed at industry? So, yeah, so I mean, the, me the methodology underpins all of the projects. Oh, so this okay. could be, for example, a project in Ghana, which is very close to my heart. It's okay. a cooking project called Japa, which means good fire in good the Akan language in, uh, in Ghana. <laughs> You've been there, then, so yeah? <laughs> I've been there, yeah. Okay, I mean, yeah, it's, yeah. A great, it's a great project. Okay. And uh, so, so that, that's the project. Um, and it's, you know, every, every day it's, it's creating a market for clean cook stoves yep. in Ghana. Um, and when those cook stoves are in use, they also save emissions because they're more efficient. The emissions reductions that are created, yeah. you can get carbon credits for those uh, emission reductions. And those are all rigorously monitored and measured. Mm -hmm. And it's those that climate care are finding buyers for, which, in, which helps to uh, fund the project and ultimately drives finance into that project, which yeah. allows it to scale up and reduce emissions even further. Um, so that's the that's the kind of principle behind the. Uh, how did the, the how do the households see the benefit of this? If I may ask, do, is it cheaper for them? Um, do they get? Yeah, that's the main. Yeah, for for clean cooking projects, often it's much cheaper because the cook stoves are much more efficient. Okay. So, some of the projects, for example, there's a project called Burn in uh, in Kenya that we work with. Uh, it's a great great project, and that cook stove is about fifty percent more efficient than the alternative. Um, and that can save almost a dollar equivalent a day and okay. save fuel costs. Right. And so that in, in Kenya, that's an enormous that's a amount lot of money. money. Yeah, it's, that's a lot of money. Yeah, It's yeah. a whole lot of money. Exactly. Yeah. So often the challenge with these kind of projects is that to buy the cook stove up front, it's more expensive than the alternative. Yeah. So sometimes um, we run a few projects with, uh, with micro loans to help front that upfront expense of the cook stove. Yeah. But they then, have to pay it back then, um, or yeah, and then families will pay it back over time based time. on the okay. fuel savings that they're that they're making. Yeah, um, and then after that period, they own the stove, and also um, there are these really big savings on on fuel that they make every day. I mean, you have to cook every day, so those those yeah. savings come come every day. And where in Kenya is that? Is that is that the main city? Is Nairobi, or is that the Masamari, or where is it exactly? It's mostly that project's mostly focused on urban areas, okay? Um, because it's a it's an efficient charcoal stove. Yeah. So in in um, in Kenya, in urban areas, people use charcoal to cook. Okay. In the rural areas, they tend to use wood to cook. Right. But that particular stove is focused on on urban uh, urban environments. Okay. So Nairobi, Mombasa, those are places we are thinking about here. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. And then, um, yeah, I see something about, uh, obviously, I did a project for the Sustainable Development Goals, um, UN, and I see that you adhere quite a lot to that. Um, you're working um, to develop uh, bespoke projects and measure outcomes against the global goals. And I see eight goals, uh, no poverty, zero hunger, good health, clean water, sanitation, affordable, clean energy, which we just spoke about, obviously, mm -hmm. um, industry, innovation, infrastructure, climate action, life on land. So how do you measure that, so if I may ask? As I was describing, lots of the projects that we work on have these multiple impacts across different, different sustainable yeah. development goals. Yeah. Um, and so 
lots of the monitoring work that we do is focused on measuring the carbon emission reductions of mm -hmm. the projects because that's how the offset mechanism works. You only get given a credit once you've successfully demonstrated that you've reduced your carbon emission. Mm -hmm. And that process is, is very formally set out. Okay. Um, and it's very strongly audited to ensure the rigor behind. There's basically the standards for that, is that correct? Exactly. Okay. And so as part of that monitoring, we can also monitor uh, for, other, for other impacts. So I yeah. talked about lives, lives improved is another way that we monitor our, um, monitor our business success. Mm -hmm. And it's through the carbon monitoring that we do for the projects, we can also um, assess how many people we've reached through the projects as well. So we can monitor that lives improved um, metric. And then, you know, as, as you were, as we were saying, the projects also create benefits for women, for example. So the burn, the burn factory um, is, is one of, it's one of the first cookstoves um, produced almost entirely in Africa rather than being manufactured in China and imported into Africa, yeah. um, which is great because it's building local capacity and local, local skills. But not only that, also, 50% of the, the workforce in the factories are women as well, which is very uncommon in Kenya, where the manufacturing sector is really dominant, a kind of male-dominated um, sector. Okay. So that's another way that the projects have, you know, they, they have a positive impact in terms of uh, furthering the sustainable development goals and the, and the different goals under that. Very interesting. And obviously, um, Kenya, you also have another... A few other countries in Africa as well, where you operate. I saw South Sudan. I traveled through Sudan myself, and even though it's a while ago, there's still a lot of conflict going on there. And it was not easy to to travel there. It must not be easy to operate there and have a you know part of your business being in in South Sudan. How do you deal with that? Uh, do you have representatives there? Do you have an agency there? Does everything come from Kenya? Um, uh, and, and how do you oversee it? And do you have to, how do you deal with the government and military forces that are there on land? If I may, if you know, and if I may ask. No, no, and absolutely. I mean, the, the projects that we work with are very often in, in, a, in different jurisdictions and difficult jurisdictions. Yeah. So, I mean, for example, just before lockdown, I was in Sierra Leone at a rainforest protection project there mm -hmm. and Sierra Leone is you know, in the bottom 10 of the most developed countries uh, on earth. So it's very low on the human development index. Yeah. Um, but ultimately from climate care's perspective, the key to that is, you know, we're, we're very um, extensive in the due diligence that we do with projects mm -hmm. to make sure that they align with climate care's uh, kind of principles and how we do business. So we'll look at, you know, who are the counterparties involved in the project, how well, um, integrated and supported is it at a local level? And so, for example, the Gola project in Sierra Leone mm -hmm. does does tick all those boxes for us because the um, the project is is a collaboration between the RSPB, who what, are a much loved charity in the UK, the Royal Society for the Protection of Birds. Okay. Um, so they're you know a very big charity in the UK, mm -hmm. but as, alongside them, there's also the Conservation Society of Sierra Leone which is a local charity that works in Sierra Leone to protect, uh, protect wildlife, mm -hmm. but also the, the government, the forestry department of Sierra Leone. And it's those three 
parties that work together, which form the project. So you're working with the government as well as the charities inside the country, as well as the charities exactly. here so in the UK. Exactly. Yeah. So it has the local aspect as well as the government aspect, as well as the UK uh, kind of governance levels that we would expect at a, at a project. So, and how, how does the ask how does the government feel about you going in there and setting up a project like that? I mean, that that's the the great thing is that the project has had the government involvement from the very from beginning, ah, gotcha. and in fact, yeah. one of the ways that the project has been influential is that it managed to part of the criteria of setting the carbon project up yep. setting this project up was that the government would designate the national park uh, the rainforest that we're trying to protect as a national park mm -hmm. and you know that means that the park has certain protections in place at a, at a kind of legal legal level the highest level um, so that yeah. was that was very important in terms of the the work of the work of the project getting that that in place And so, you know, the government's been there from the start from that project. It's very well well supported throughout um, throughout the country, and it's it's very very positive. And you've been there yourself, you say, yeah? I have, yeah. I was there literally just as lockdown was coming up. I was really? there with one of our partners. <laughs> we, were, we were visiting to get some uh, Bulb Energy, a company who have supported the project for a number of years. Also a difficult we country, hey? not not an easy country to go to. A lot of conflicts, obviously, but as you say yourself already, bottom of, of, of the countries, really, uh, where that's concerned. Do you feel safe going there? Yeah, no, I mean, it, certainly from a safety perspective, we would never go with our partners anywhere where there was uh, uh -huh. any kind of um, foreign office advice not to travel to that country, for example. Sierra Leone is remarkably um, peaceful now, and it's, it's, you're well able to travel there. Um, but I mean, part of the way that the project has worked is that it was it was very decimated by civil war, mm -hmm. um, Sierra Leone. I think it, the civil war ended in 2003. And what that meant was that lots of the male population died okay. and lots of the cocoa farming capacity was lost such that even though Sierra Leone is in a great latitude for growing mm -hmm. cocoa, the yields of cocoa around the around the forest compared to Ghana, compared to Cote d'Ivoire, which are uh, next door and on, on the west coast of Africa, mm -hmm. were massively lower, a couple of order, um, order of magnitudes lower than they, than they could have been. And so that lots of the way that the project has worked with local communities is to reintroduce that okay. um, cocoa knowledge and to help um, farmers improve their livelihoods by learning about cocoa growing. Right. And you can now actually get You can get chocolate bars from the uh, from the rainforest edge, ah. which is really cool. Okay. So you can eat chocolate and protect the rainforest, Brilliant. which is a good. Uh, so good it benefits the community directly, is what you're saying, yeah, by being there. Exactly. I mean, yeah. that's the whole the whole way that the project works. So, I mean, to give a brief description of the project, mm -hmm. yeah, it's an area of rainforest that they call the Green Diamond in in Sierra Leone, okay. and it is, as you can probably imagine, it's full of amazing biodiversity. It's the last stable population of Western chimpanzees, which are an endangered chimpanzee live in the rainforest. Mm -hmm. There are also 325 species of uh, birds that live in the forest, including, you'll have, you'll have, if, you were, if you were into birds, you'll have seen swifts in London mm -hmm. over summer. And see, mm -hmm. I, I love watching the swifts. And uh, in winter, they migrate south and they actually migrate to, to Gola. So ah, you can ah. see swifts in winter in Gola that you might see in London in the summer. How, how big it's is the area, cool. if I may ask? Um... It's, it's uh, 140,000 
hectares all in, all right. which is about about the size of Greater London, right. very roughly. That, that's that's quite um, a massive. Uh... Yeah, so it's a it's a substantial area of forest. But the way the project is set up is that you have the the core area of virgin rainforest, yep. and then the the project works to protect that by working with the communities who live around the forest because yeah. they're really the key to protecting it. Yeah. Um, previously, as I say, they're very, very poor communities and they would go into the forest in order to, to sustain themselves, to, mm-hmm. to, to hunt or to log or to, do, or to do slash and burn agriculture. Slash and burn, you mean they're cutting down the rainforest to make agriculture, you know, just to grow their food. Is that what you're saying? or? That yeah, that was the previous situation. Right. That was the situation that the forest faced and why it was being deforested. Yeah. So, in order to protect the forest, you've got to come up with an alternative to that. You can't just of say course. you can't do that. Um, you have to come up with uh, an alternative, and the alternative is to work very closely with these communities to enable them to um, increase their coca growing yeah. capacity, as well as as well as a host of other. Um, measures yeah. which ultimately improves livelihoods and means that they don't have to encroach on the forest anymore can that be replicated elsewhere yeah it can and that you know there are different different projects have different setups to meet their own individual needs yeah um but often a kind of common theme of rainforest protection projects is that they'll work with uh local communities because often they hold the key to protecting the protecting the forest right because obviously in brazil uh, rainforest is being burned down like daily uh just to yeah. make farmlands to you know to have the cows uh, give more and more grazing uh you know it's not 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 nice actually so what could they do there any, any no, 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 you know i agree i mean as i was saying the key to all of these projects is that they must have um top to bottom stakeholder support from mm-hmm. government and from local communities and so you can't if you take the government support away yeah. which for what has happened in Brazil, Brazil, you're not going to have a sustainable um, approach. Um, So, but, you know, certainly there are, there are some projects in in Brazil and they'll, they'll work in different ways with uh, local communities. It's not always cocoa, for example, sometimes um, sustainable agriculture will focus on a different, different crop. Um, But often that, that principle of local engagement is important to how they, how they work. Right. If, what if what if in Sierra Leone, for example, the government would change and you get a different uh, government? Would they still support your project? Or? Yeah, I, I I think that's certainly the case because of the level of support that there is, and it's so well um, it's so well integrated that I don't think it's contingent on any particular uh, one particular government. It does. It's been there since uh, 2011. Right. And it does have uh, multi-stakeholder support across different organizations in Sierra Leone, including the government. So it's, it's fairly resilient to uh, shocks like that. And for example, I mean, the project went through the Ebola crisis, for yeah. example, yeah. Um, in 2014, which obviously really rocked uh, West Africa. But the, you know, the project has, has come through that, that yeah. period as well as the, the current corona, corona times. Um, I suppose, you know, the other thing which you might find interesting, Peter, is that the way the project works is that the project is only issued with carbon credits once it has delivered the results. So that's slightly different from other development projects where they get paid up front and then they try and do the thing that they've set out to achieve. But with carbon projects, you have to demonstrate that you've uh, delivered your 
results, your outcome, that you've successfully reduced deforestation before you get your carbon credit. Uh -huh. um, so it's a risk. Yeah, so exactly. So setting up, setting up and running a project is, is a risk. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's an important part of it because in order to make a valid carbon neutral claim, you have to know that that emission reduction has already been delivered. Um, and that's kind of central to climate care's mm -hmm. uh, principles. You can't, you can't say this organization is carbon neutral if it, was gonna, if it, if it wasn't carbon neutral yet. Yes. Only planning to be that activity was only planning to take place in the future. It's yeah. important that that activity actually has already taken place. So there's an outlay of funds before you see the results, actually. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then I suppose, you know, I, when I'm explaining it to people, I often, <laughs> I often use a Mars bar analogy because in many ways it's exactly the same. Like Mars bar will make Mars bars and then they sell the Mars bar at the end, which finances the production of that Mars bar. Yeah. And it's exactly the same with, with carbon projects and that the carbon project will be undertaken um, and only when you sell that carbon credit at the end has that carbon emission reduction manufacturing process almost yeah. been, uh, been, been financed and been paid for. So when you buy a carbon credit, you're financing the, the uh, reduction of carbon yeah. emissions. Makes sense, makes sense. And when you went there, what, what did you do? Did you meet with the government? Did you meet with the charity? Or did you go to the actual area I did work there? What, what was your input? Yeah, we, so we were there for four days. And we were, so we were there, as I was saying, with our partner, Bulb Energy, who have been supporting the project okay. for a few years. And their primary focus was on telling the story of the rainforest to their members. So they provide energy to households in the UK. Yeah. Um, and all of the gas that they supply is carbon neutral. One of the projects that they deliver that carbon neutrality through is is the Gola project. So we went we went to Sierra Leone and then we went to the project head offices in a place called Kenema, which okay. is in southeast Sierra Leone, about uh, two hours from the rainforest. Um, and that's where the project headquarters is. So we were kind of introduced to the project, and then we went into the rainforest to see the different aspects of the project. So we spent the first day inside the forest mm -hmm. and. Um, we were focused on how, how they measure the carbon emission reductions, how do they measure the amount of carbon in the trees, um, and also the ranger program, which is really important to the project. So the ranger program works by um, local people from local communities can come into this ranger program, they patrol the forest, and they make sure that there's no poaching or uh, slash and burn agriculture occurring. Sure. So that was the focus of the first day, and then on, on the second day, we uh, went into the forest edge communities. These are the communities where they're growing the cocoa sure. and they're, they're benefiting from the carbon uh, carbon project directly. So that was the focus on the second day. Um, so it was really to give Bulb an overview of the amazing project. And there's you know there's some great. Took a drone into the forest and got some fantastic overview footage of <laughs> this amazing carbon carbon store. It's really exciting. We saw saw sun the sunrise over the forest and. Uh, you know, amazing how it just comes alive and it is such an important carbon stock. So the view from above really gives you that sense. And you mentioned one company. Do other companies have different projects or um, how does that work? Is that is that, is this, can there only be one company involved or can there be more companies involved in that particular project, for example? How does that work? Yeah, so lo lots of different um, companies will typically support one project, okay. although it does does vary. Sometimes a company wants to be the exclusive supporter yeah. of a project. Uh -huh. um, but in the instance of the GOLA project, for example, it's reducing 
500,000 tons of carbon emissions each year. Okay. So it, it receives 500,000 carbon credits each year on average. Yeah. And so in order to um, finance that many carbon emission reductions, lots of different partners will uh, support the project by buying carbon credits from it. Because okay. um, it's, it's kind of too many carbon credits for a single single company to purchase. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay, that makes sense. And um, what what else was there? Um, there are different companies that do this as well, of course. Hey, it's not just uh, climate care. Um, what do you think the difference is? Why do you, because I did an interview with uh, John Talver, CEO of yeah. uh, Explore, um, a while ago, uh, before before the pandemic, or actually just want to throw yeah. it out as a matter of fact. But um, um, why do companies and even governments, from what I see, why do they choose you over other organizations, um, companies that do the same, similar things? Yeah, and I, I heard a little bit of John's um, interview, and it was interesting to hear mm. him talking about why, about you, why yeah. I'm still working <laughs> with climate care. Yeah. But I do, I do what came through in John's answer, and what I would also say is that companies, it's, it's very important that they can trust the the a company that they're working with and that the company has a track record of, of delivering. I think, you know, above all, that's what climate care offers. We have a very strong reputation in the in the voluntary carbon market. Yeah. Such that our, you know, our name is synonymous with high quality. Okay. And I think that ultimately is what's really important to companies. Um, you know, specifically, there are a load of things which underpin that, uh, like we're well known for the communications programs that we implement with our with our partners, which really help to for them to get the value out of the program by telling telling their customers about it. Mm-hmm. Um, we're also well recognised for the due diligence that we do and the attention to detail on risk that we do. So, I mean, as I was saying, we assess every single project on a case by case basis to mm-hmm. make sure that that project is delivering in line with our principles and what often are our, the company's principles that we're that we're working with. Um, so I think that's another really important reason why companies choose to work with us is the strength of our project. Is that the same for governments? Because I see you're working with the government of Norway, you're working with the Swedish Energy Agency, which is basically government as well, besides obviously the companies that uh, I just mentioned also, Aviva, Linklater, quite a few companies I've seen um, uh, you're working with. Why do governments work with you? Look, there's lots of similar reasons, really. Yeah. I mean, the main the main reason governments are often very focused on um, compliance and on that due diligence process that I just described. For example, yeah. governments are very stringent in terms of the type of thing that they are looking for, and it must um, must tick, tick their boxes regarding that due diligence requirement. So that's yeah. where we're we're very well established and we're one of the few operators who work in both the voluntary carbon market but also compliance carbon markets and i think and that's why, why why governments will work with us is because of the strength of our reputation and intelligence makes sense makes sense okay there's a few articles let's get to that as well um sure. obviously we have the uh well first of all we have the pros and cons of carbon offsetting and uh well there's an article here from the telegraph which is Obviously, a certain direction of the news as well, a bit right-wing newspaper, I would say. But they say our carbon offsetting schemes are not so green. And uh, other article from The Guardian, which is normally a bit more to the left, uh, mentioned that uh, carbon emissions offsetting has proved a minefield. And uh, a lot of problems they talk about. 
Uh, with tree planting, obviously, it takes a long time before you actually see the results with planting trees. What you're trying to do, for example, in, 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 in Sierra Leone is different. You're preventing rainforest from being uh, destructed, which is fantastic. Um, but I did an interview as well with a lady from Flight 3 UK. Uh, it was a very interesting interview as well. What she mentioned is that there's a problem with uh, carbon offsetting, that, that there's, no, there's no behavioral change, really. I mean, companies, airlines, they can just think they can a few carbon credits and uh, it's like a get out of jail free card what do you think can i ask you for your opinion on that no, no, yeah of course you okay. can okay um, cool. so yeah i mean that the kind of get out of jail free card criticism is is often levied at uh, carbon offsetting but i don't i really personally don't think that it stands up to scrutiny okay um and but you know all, almost all of the partners that we work with they and what we would always encourage our partners to do is to offset as part of a broader climate strategy. So, in fact, offsetting only really makes sense if you're also trying to reduce your carbon emissions okay. as well. Yeah. And I would say the great bulk of, of companies have um, a multi, multi-part strategy of which offsetting is only one tool. And there's also a very strong focus on creating direct emissions. And I think that's... The idea that companies that offset are also better at reducing their direct emissions is also borne out by research. Mm-hmm. So there's a, there was a piece of research which looked at companies that offset versus companies that didn't. And it found that the companies that did offset were also better at reducing their direct emissions as mm-hmm. well. If you're carbon offsetting, you're more likely to be engaged on the climate topic. It also, if you're being really cynical, it's a, it's a cost item on your balance sheet. So mm-hmm. it gives you some recognition that carbon pollution mm-hmm. as a cost and that you need to reduce your, your carbon emissions as well. Um, so, yeah, it, it, as far as the pros and cons of offsetting go, mm-hmm. I don't think it um, stands up to scrutiny, mm-hmm. the idea that it's a, a get-out-of-jail-free card. Sure. No, that, that, it makes sense to me. That, that said, I was uh, on, on Twitter uh, in one of the one of the you, they, they have a lot of talk shows there. Basically, people just chat about certain things, and obviously, I am there for the for the travel chat shows. And they were saying that, uh, especially airlines. We talk about airline. What they're saying? Well, yeah, they're buying credits, but it's just greenwashing. Basically, they don't do anything else. But I know that there's a lot of technology being developed in the airline industry as well. So it makes sense that it's just one part of their strategy. Um, that's basically what you're saying, right? Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. And I think, as I say, I do think that is really common. If you look at um, the science-based target initiative, which I don't know if your listeners are familiar with, but this is a new initiative which encourages um, corporate organizations to set carbon reduction targets in line with what's required by science. So they'll essentially set out a carbon reduction pathway, which is um, in line with a 1.5 degree Paris target. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know the science-based target initiative has grown since its foundation in 2015 to having almost a thousand organizations that have now signed up to have a science-based target and it's that that's a that's a carbon reduction pathway so that might be one that's one part one of your pathway. climate yeah. strategy gotcha. and yeah. the other part might be everything in the meantime you know you can't get to zero instantly you know it's going to take time mm-hmm. in the meantime you should compensate for your pollution by reducing emissions elsewhere in the world. Um, so that, in, in terms of best practice, corporate carbon climate strategies, they of, often have those two threads. One, science-based target to reduce in line with 
with science and with the requirements of Paris. Mm-hmm. And the second part for the pollution you do create in the meantime, you've got to do everything that you can right now to reduce that elsewhere in the world. Okay. And is there a difference between generations? Because there's another article, uh, I think it was from The Guardian as well. Um, they say that younger younger people uh, are more apt to do something about it than older generations. Have you seen anything like that? Yeah, I mean, no, I know, not that I have any kind of particular research on, but I would say it does, does for example, again, to cite Bulb Energy, who are one of our partners, they're very uh, focused on a millennial-type audience, and they have been very ambitious in terms of their carbon offset programs. They're one of the largest carbon offsetters in in, in the UK. <laughs> um, and you can see through their social media and through the way that they um, speak to their audience that they're very focused on young people. So I do, from a kind of anecdotal standpoint, I would say that it does seem that uh, you know, young people are demanding change on on, uh, on climate change. And you see that you see that with the kind of Greta Thunberg yeah. effect as well. She's very young herself. Yeah. And I think that the idea of people who are going to live in the climate impacted world calling for changes, that's certainly coming through. Fair enough. Okay, article uh, 25 of June from the cccc.org.uk, uh, talking about COVID-19 and uh, climate change. We talked about it a little bit al- already, but obviously once the pandemic uh, slows down, it might take a while still, as far as I know, uh, or at least my, my perception of that. Um, they said you should really do something, and um, you know this can be an historic turning point in tackling the global uh, global climate uh, crisis. There's one point they uh, put point number two on 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 that article: uh, tree planting, uh, peatland restoration, green infrastructure, investing in nature. Exactly what you're doing, right? So, um, exactly. Yeah. So I mean, I was gonna we. Climate Care recently uh, subscribed to the Together with Nature principles, which okay. are the set of principles that lots of organization, organizations have signed up to. Okay. And they are a commitment, essentially, to support nature-based solutions to, to climate care and to do so in a way which is socially is that and ecologically global? That's, uh... responsible. Yeah, I mean, there are worldwide organizations who have subscribed to these. It's very simple for principles, but it's created a lot of, um, a lot of momentum. Right. Uh, so that's something that we've subscribed to recently. And it is, in terms of the way that the voluntary carbon market is moving, I think that it's the nature-based solutions that are really coming coming to the fore. And there are lots of solutions that you might not expect. So, for example, peatland yeah. in the UK is an area that we're doing a lot of work on at the moment. Yeah. Peatland is 3% of soils worldwide, but it has 30% of all of the carbon stored in soils are in peatland yep. so this is a really important carbon <laughs> carbon sink that we have yep. um however in the uk also the peatland has been degraded by land use change by people draining the peatland um mm-hmm. so that it can be more productive but that damages its ability to store carbon so it's actually made it into a carbon source so in the uk 20 million tons a year of carbon emissions are created just from degrading peatland right so by working to restore peatland to its natural state, you can actually reduce those carbon emissions quite extensively. Mm-hmm. And so lots of the projects in the UK that we're focusing on are taking that that approach by re-wetting the peatland and reducing carbon. Yeah, the article actually says the UK is particularly badly prepared. Um, you know, serious impacts of climate change, flooding, overheating, water shortages is what I mentioned there. And that's just a few, but um, obviously that's changing, I'd take it on here. 
Well, you know, we've got a long way to go, as do most countries. But as you say, I mean, the UK has pretty low tree cover for a European country. So mm-hmm. we've got work to do to uh, change that and plant new new trees. Yeah. But then we also, the peat resource that UK has is, is, is quite unique. Um, there's an area of Scotland called the Flow Country, okay. Northern Scotland, which is this massive area of peatland. Um, and by re-wetting and restoring that, that peatland area, we can have a big positive climate impact. Excellent. Okay. And um, other article here from BBC, as a matter of fact, says that uh, the uh, change should be driven by the leaders uh, willing to take decisive steps. And obviously they mention leaders not only of the government of the, of the country, but also of cities. Is it up to the leaders? What do you think? Yeah, I think it is. I mean, I, I think it's up to everyone. I mean, we can't sure. just pin the responsibility on one area. Mm-hmm. But I do, you know, I, I heard John on your previous podcast talking mm-hmm. about a carbon tax, and that's something that uh, I would support would as you? well. Yeah. Yeah. I think creating a level playing field on climate change is really important. And I think that having the price of carbon reflected in, in the goods that we purchase is yeah. important. And for the carbon price to be consistent and meaningful enough to yeah. create societal change is going to be uh, it's going to be critical overall that has to come from the government oh, i don't think people will say give, exactly. me, give me more tax and they're not gonna... <laughs> no it's, it's rarely a vote tax. But, um, but no i think you know you do see some jurisdictions which have implemented successful um carbon taxes they can be revenue neutral and that you can cut taxes in other in other areas um and i do think that in terms of climate action that is you know the government stepping up to that that challenge would be important makes sense to me so um where can people find you besides climatecare.org yeah that's uh, you know that's a good place and we're always we're always open to discussion through linkedin or through our social LinkedIn, media social media which social media platforms do you use um we're we're on twitter so twitter? you can you can find <laughs> climate care on twitter All right. um and you know me i'm personally on on linkedin on okay. forster yeah. climate care so you, can find me there and, and you know look forward to, to chatting to any of your listeners good 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 anything in the pipeline is there anything that you'd like to mention that you're working on right now where are you going next besides Charlie on well good question I mean obviously with with COVID where you know the stuck composite projects <laughs> in the way that we were previously so maybe maybe some more UK UK based project visits yeah. um but no in, in terms of India I mean that's something that I'm really personally excited about is the work that climate care are doing in the UK focused on um, reforesting and, and mm. uh, planting new woodland as well as protecting peatland yeah. um, and they're even you know very nascent stage efforts to protect some of our coastal ecosystems which are also really important carbon resources mm-hmm. so it's a case of you know watch this space in the UK because I think it's exciting times excellent thank you so much for being on the podcast much appreciated great thanks Peter great to speak Okay, okay, that was the podcast with Oliver Forster from Climate Care. It was really, really nice to have him on the podcast. Very clear what they do. Um, as I mentioned, I'll put the links in the show notes. You can find all the information about what we talked about on the page on our website at podcasts.earth forward slash climate care. You have been listening to Peter de Vries, which is me. Thank you very much for doing that. And uh, don't forget to tune in next time. Thank you.